So what I thought we'd talk about today is it's something that we've talked about before, but it was several years ago. And then we've done several years of study. And so I thought it might be fun to return to it and, and discuss it and just kind of see how understanding has changed or, or like how much more engaged with it and what you have learned about it. And it's the idea of context. And we, I know we've talked about like the text itself as well as what's behind the text and what's in front of the text. And I just thought maybe spending some time talking about those and highlighting those things. And um, I've been writing some articles for the Thomas Talks website about these things um, in, a, in a, there's going to be a series of articles to help people learn how to engage with and study scripture. And that's, you know, since that's kind of what we do and what we focus on, I thought it would be neat to kind of see, see what y'all have learned and what, <laughs> how that, how has that impacted, you know, your personal study or, or when people, when people come up to you and say things like, you know, we had that list that we went through, but when people come to you and say things, the questions that you now start to ask where before you wouldn't have known what questions to ask, you know? So, so what are some things that are important about the text itself that you can think of? Like when you, when you go to a, when you go to a piece of scripture, what is, what are some of the questions that you ask or what are some of the things that you, you make note of? When you're reading it for yourself or when you're discussing it with someone or you want to understand, like if you, if somebody says, well, what does this verse mean? And you go to that verse and just thinking about the big picture, like for example, what genre is it? You know, are they asking you about a poem in Psalms? Are they asking you about a proverb? Are they asking you something in Torah? Are they asking something in Paul's letters? You know, that changes. You know, when people come at me and go, you know, life begins at conception because it says he knit me together in my mother's womb. And I go, I'm not arguing about when life begins, but really that's, that's your, that's your proof for, <laughs> you know? Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think about like, if I even know who the audience is, you know, um, at that time, so so who the original audience was like who yeah. who were they writing to what was that culture like and uh-huh. what was their culture like and the differences and similarities and why would they say what they're saying and what was that like yeah because I, I when I because now you know before it was just like reading it from a current United States English standard and culture you know, looking at, looking at it from my own culture. Right. And so you can't, like, I see a lot of people doing that, and you're like, well, you're, you can't really do that. Right. They're not in the U.S. And right. And it's not 2005. Like, you can't. Paul didn't type that on his Mac. Right, right. So. <laughs> that wasn't an email attachment to the Corinthians. It right, right. Like, I was just telling Erica, too, with, uh, to look at words. Like, if anything seems out to me, I'm like, well, maybe with that Right. So I like to take everything back to the original language, too, because I have a different understanding. Like I was telling Erica yesterday, you know, if I told you I had a flat, you, you would probably think I had a flat tire. And 
instead of instead of thinking that I had a new apartment. Right. When I was in Europe, they would think I had a new apartment. Right. So I was like the same words. Or in some cultures, a flat top. Right. You know, you got a particular haircut. In the right. 80s, it was called a flat top. So then it's like, what, like what you have to put it back into context. If we're talking about it in the U.S., then flat tire. But if I'm in Europe, it's an apartment. So I'm like, that's you've got to decipher that. Like, And a lot of that helps when you go back to the original language and the original culture understand what it is they're actually saying. Right. I know I was talking to my dad just yesterday about something. Um, and he was saying that something meant one thing. And I said, well, not necessarily. And, you know, he said, well, how, how could it mean something different? And I said, well, for one thing, prepositions in Greek and Hebrew are kind of ambiguous. They're provided by the translator and by the, by the listener, you know, um, not not a preposition, it's a verb, but like to go and to come in Hebrew are the same thing. And you have to know from the context whether someone is talking about someone going out or coming in. Um, and then prepositions, you know, is it near, in, by, under, over? It depends on the context. So, so for instance, we talked about, you know, when Yeshua, quote unquote, ascended into the clouds, versus entered the clouds or entered the cloud that opened up and it was you know it's it's the the greek word for the cloud that surrounded the israelites in the wilderness okay so did did that cloud of of spirit open and and he entered it or did he raise up you know floating up into the clouds in the in the actual sky you know, well, it doesn't really indicate the clouds in the sky if it's a word that's talking about the Shekinah glory. Right. And the same with his return. You know, is he coming down from the clouds? Or does he, you know, does that cloud open again? Especially when the, the people there said they could see into the throne room of God. You know, it, I always end up thinking of the Monty Python and the Holy Grail where the, the cutout of God sticks his head out over the cloud. And, you know, <laughs> it's like it, these, these ideas we have that, that it's one thing when you've grown up in the church hearing those ideas. It's another thing if you start to try and listen to teachings as an outsider. Like if you try to ask yourself, what does this sound like to somebody who hasn't heard these things their whole life? Or was raised a different way. Right, right. You know, it's legitimate when people go, some Christians talk a lot about blood. It's kind of gory. <laughs> you know, and, I, and, and people would say that, and I started listening, and I'm like, I'm really, un- this is really graphic. I'm really uncomfortable. And, and I don't think we need... You know, Paul doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about blood. It's it's really not the focus of his writings. You know, is it important? Yes. Do we need to understand the concept? Yes. But even in the temple instructions, there's a whole lot of washing away the blood (laughs) because you don't need it sticking around. It gets kind of putrid. And I think that some doctrines are putrid. I think that some doctrines are really focused on things that are not the point of the subject. 
Um, you know, and when you were talking, you talked about what's behind the text, you know, the, the people it was written to, who wrote it, you know, were they a king or were they a prophet? Was it Paul who, uh, you know, was a Pharisee of Pharisees and yet had an encounter with Jesus and realized that this was for everybody? Or was it Peter who had a different encounter and understanding and, and realized it needed to go to the Gentiles? Was it John? You know, who the, the brother of Yeshua, who, who, you know, who remained all about the love. He was the beloved one. You know, or was it James, whose, whose writings are a lot more convicting of, you know, you say, you, you know, you want to show me, oh, what is, what is the verse in James? Or, um, we can. And help me see you. <laughs> I'm like looking, everybody's shadowy. <laughs> hey, there you all are. <laughs> but the, what is the verse in James? Um, you show me, you want to show me your saved by faith versus. I'll with the file your works. Yeah. And I'll, uh, okay. I know. Show me your faith by your works and I'll show you my faith by my. Well, he's saying I'll show you my faith by what I do. You want to say you believe. Oh, good Lord. Now look that up. That? It's been a weird morning. Verses that I know that I can roll off my tongue are just not coming to me today. It's in like the first chapter of James, I think, which is right back before Revelation. Like you show me... Anyway, while you while you look that up, you know, so the, so what's behind the text? Who is the author? Who is the audience? What is the point? You know, what are, what are they writing? Are they like a lot of times with Paul? Are they responding to a letter, or did you know with the prophets? Did you have a vision and it's just being recorded? You know, or some of the prophets were told go and tell the king. You know, so so who who is it written to? Um, a lot of people read, the, especially the Old Testament, in a monotone. Like it's all one message about one solid idea about one thing. And then they go, well, the whole point of the Old Testament. And I'm like, the whole point? Right. Seriously? I get asked that a lot. Like, what? <laughs> like, why, why do we follow the Old Testament? Especially with the well, Yeah. I'm like, really? Out of the whole Bible, y'all going to ask me about why the Old Right. Well, even the most or important part. Even there's a hail. Right. Like, really? <laughs> but do you see how we've elevated? Those are important things right. to Christians today. Right. Whereas Christians, right after Yeshua, would have would not have even had those questions. Mm-hmm. You know, they would have maybe if they were coming in as converts from pagan, they would have gone, "Wait, you don't believe in this? Wait, you mean I don't have to castrate myself? Wait, you mean I don't have to live?" You know, because remember, it's good news. And how many times have we taken good news and made it bad news because we've just filtered it through, you know, and then there's what's in front of the text, which you mentioned, which is us, the reader. And every reader reads it differently. I I think that, I think that there's one aspect of of being aware of what's in front of the text where we need to try and remove remove as much as we can 
as we can our bias when we're studying it, you know, which, which is, is accomplished very often by looking at the text or what's behind the text and trying to understand from that perspective. But I also think that there's some beautiful study being done and some beautiful theology that comes from examining the wide variety of interpretations from different people being in front of the text. You know, in, in the U.S., we, there's a lot of focus on a very, for example, a very literal reading of Revelation, which I think is, is not at all how it was intended to be understood. And we're really the only country that does that. What, what is the verse? James chapter 2, verse 18. James 2, 18. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have words. Show me your faith without your words, and I will show you my faith by my works. By my works. And I think, I think that's the best messianic response. I think that is the response for people who say, you, you follow the commands? You, you do these things? Oh, you're focused on works? Oh, you do... You know what? They're an expression of my faith. They're an outpouring of my faith. They're in response to my faith. Right, and then, then they go, well, you can't earn your way into heaven, so the things you do, you're doing just to get into heaven? Well, and that's, and that's a Christian myth. Right. Because then, nobody ever thought they were earning their way into heaven... I mean, maybe the Pharisees in Jesus' time, who he was very critical of, but nothing in the in the actual message and nothing in the text of Torah suggests that you can earn your way into heaven. And then there's confusing, like, scripture, like, when I was with those ladies, how they were just trying to make that claim. But anyway, look, look at verse 14. It says, what does it profit, my brethren, though a man may say he has faith and have not worked, can faith? Save him, and so a lot of people might take that as him saying, "Oh, well, if you just believe, that's you know, that's not enough, and you have to do, and that's what saves you." But when that's that's not that, what he's trying to say, right? That not, but almost that, because I think he's saying the same thing as Yeshua said, "If you love me, you keep my commandments," and and that's not saying you know that I judge people for how whether they keep Torah or not, but. We are, you know, the whole definition of Shema is hear, understand, and obey. If you don't obey, if, if what you hear and what you understand doesn't change what you do, it's not done. It's not legit. You know, the, the, the verse that says even the demons believe and tremble. You know, believing that he is who he says he is, it, it's not enough. Right, but then there's another part in the Bible that a lot of Christians like to go to, and I can't remember where it's at, but it says something like, uh, you, um, you're saved by having faith in Jesus Christ. So then a lot of people are like, all you got to do is believe. Then do whatever the heck you want with right. your life. I, I, think it says, I think it says believe and be saved. And what I would it's challenge is that be saved actually means Shema. It's, like action, right? <laughs> it's the, it be, you know, believe is the starting point and then you go be saved, you right. know? And then there's a lot of other parts in the Bible where that clearly states like that you don't earn, you're, like you don't get brownie points for a 
And and yet there is the and, and yes, and yet there is the parable of when it when it talks about the nations being called for judgment. And and that's it's the one with the sheep and the goats. And so if you go into that, and, and when this was pointed out to me, it was it was really mind-blowing because when the Bible talks about the nations, it's talking about the people who don't know God. The nations who aren't expected to understand. The nations who have not shamad. The na- they haven't, you know, they, they haven't heard. And a lot of people will say, well, I told them the gospel and they rejected it. So God's rejected them. Like, well, you know, was your gospel actually good news? Right. <laughs> Did they maybe reject you and not the gospel? Right. You know, and, and I think so we've got this very shallow idea. But when the nations get called for judgment, so the people outside of the kingdom, the people who aren't expected to know, aren't held to a standard of righteousness, that when they're called before the, the master, when they're called before the Lord for judgment, before the king, they're divided into sheep and goats, and the sheep are the ones who visited people in prison, fed the hungry, clothed the naked, did these good deeds, not works. They weren't trying to earn anything. Right, they weren't trying to say, I'm doing this just to get in heaven. Right, they were motivated by love for others, and they are called sheep. And you know that these are the nations because they say to the king, when did we do these things to you? We don't know you. And he says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And the goats are the ones who, yeah, they weren't expected to know better, but they also weren't motivated by love. And, you know, we've got, there is this understanding in in Judaism, there is this understanding that is prevalent throughout the writings of the New Testament, which, you know, people want to make a lot of distinction. Oh, it was written in Greek, not Hebrew. Right. But it was expressing Hebrew ideas. And it was written by Hebrew men <laughs> and one probably Hebrew woman. But, um, but we've got this idea, and, and John talks about it specifically, if you say you love God but you hate your neighbor, you're a liar, and God's love is not in you. And, and even Yeshua said that the two greatest commandments, which are equal, are love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's so interesting, because I was just talking to Erica about that the other day, and I was saying, like, all, like, I was looking at this thing in the airport, at the chapel at the airport, because they respect all religions and stuff. So Mm -hmm. they have those two rules for every single religion, because they all have it in some way, shape, or form saying the exact same thing. Yes. And so I was like, because Erica, like, had asked me, she was like, well, what's the difference between, you know, um, like someone who's like a Hebraic roots, you know, believer, and, and I guess everybody else, or someone who's Hebrew, mm-hmm. everybody else, you know? Yeah. I just, like, I gave her, like, a, co- a couple of examples and all these long, drawn-out explanations, because, like, she caught me off guard, and I really wasn't, like, yeah. thinking. <laughs> but had I been, like, really, really thinking, I would have just been, like, you know, the, the difference, because I was, because she was... It's such a fine line between the two sometimes when she's looking at it. And I was just like, honestly, Erica, like, no matter what you claim, the hardcore difference between the two is 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 basically um, 
being a hearer or a doer. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't get to, like, say that to her because now... I I know. I always bumble through first encounters with a question or, or, you know, and then I... When really I could have just summed it up to either you're you're hearing it or you're doing it. I like that book, Nene read. You're a fan or a... Oh, not a fan. Not a fan. The name of the book is not a fan. But they separated people, two groups of people, right? It was like, you're either a fan or you're you're not a fan. Or you're not a fan. Either you're going to follow Christ or you're not. Right. be in the middle. Right. You're either black or you're white. You right. can't be gray. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're having some real serious oxygen right. problems. <laughs> That's true. But I think I think that um, God has made a way to find him and put it in every religion. And I think that that what is uniquely different about what Paul was teaching in the New Testament, the thing that that got a lot of, but not all, a lot of the Jewish leaders of his time angry, the thing that uh, the thing that really both ticked people off and made the community grow as quickly as it did was his message that God wants everyone. Yeshua opened the door for everyone. And I, I don't think you have to believe a particular way about it for God to want you and to save you. And I think that when you examine what's in front of the text, you know, us, when you look at the reader, we are all incredibly influenced by what we're taught and what we experience. So even within professing Christians, okay, not even talking right this second about, you know, the reality that there are people who are saved in every religion. Not by their religion, but by God, through what Yeshua did, whether they understand it or not, Within Christianity at large, there's over 40,000 denominations. Even within denominations, there's argument and diversity about what, you know, what this particular thing means and how to do this particular thing. And so at a certain point, the question becomes, does, does that matter for your salvation or does that matter for how you live and for what you do in your obedience to what you're taught. And so there, there are times where I, you know, talk to people and they got, you know, when they got saved, they got saved into a particular church, but then they're farther down their journey of faith now. And there's things that are bothering them about it. And to say, you know, why don't you go find a group that is ministering to the things you're wrestling with right now and throw yourself in there and, and, and engage those things. Because maybe this group has served its purpose in your life. And, you know, one of the things that I, that I do love and respect about Judaism in particular is even within, like, even within the Pharisees, they had different ideas that they would argue about. And, and yet they were all, ex, you know, they were respected ideas that I just disagree with. Well, yes, I, I respect that rabbi, but I think he got it wrong. 
well, okay, so you think I got, you know, I'm following wrong on this, but we all love God. We're all doing our best to obey him. And we're all in this together. How can we encourage one another? You know, and one of the things I try and tell people when they're, when they're coming at me with something I, you know, I'm sharing that I believe and they think I'm wrong, wrong, wrong. You know what? You, if you really believe that's what God says, then you need to be obedient to that. Right. Because you answer to God for your alignment with your understanding. I will be answering to God for my adherence to what he's convicted me of which is different in this area. But since neither of these is about salvation, I think we're good. And so I, I think that one of the things, you know, when Bill and I got married, one of the things we noticed is that there were two very different realities we were seeing for our married friends. There were the people who saw marriage as the end of dating and there were, or the wedding, the wedding as the end of dating. And there were people who saw the wedding as the beginning of married life together. And the groups that were happiest were the ones that saw it as the beginning of married life together, not the end of dating. Because what comes after the end of dating? Nobody's really discussed that. <laughs> we don't really know. I guess it's just us being together. You know, versus now we've got this new thing we're doing. And so I think, you know, and, and my analogy there is a lot of times we lump all of this into salvation. Um, you know, this week, I've, a couple of times I've had my salvation called into question because I've expressed concern over things different political leaders are doing that I don't believe are good for our country but because you're supposed to love everyone, are you even saved? And I'm like, whoa, back this train up. Because A, love does not delight in evil. So don't you dare come at me saying that I have to approve of everything in order to love someone. People think that, like, your average Christian, because this is so crazy. Erica should be here right now. We talk about all this stuff. <laughs> well, I'm recording this, stuff. and this will work, so she can yeah, listen to it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we're called to love one another, uh, like we love ourselves and love God with our heart, heart, mind, soul, and strength. They kept going back to that. And I was like, so, but you, but you, there's a fine line. Like, you can't be confused about what love is. You know, you right. can't say, I'm going to stay in this abusive relationship and let this guy beat the living crap out of me every single Cause day. Because I love him. Because God calls me to love. Right. And got, I said, at some point, you have to stop and be like, is that love? What does right. love really look like? What's the truth about love? Does love have boundaries? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Does love have self-discipline? And what does that look like? Because to stay in an abusive relationship is so damaging to you and to the... And, 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 Should you maybe love him from a distance? Right. And, and, right. <laughs> Very and, safe, like, not restraining only, order distance. Right. I was like, it not only enables that person to, to stay in whatever destruct, destructive action they're performing, but it also allows you to stay being... You know, being the victim of that, or being right, get, or being destroyed by that too. So I was like, so then, how is that love? Tell me how that's love, right? And then if you think that that's love, then what really is your definition of love, and, and who taught you that, and how have you been receiving it? You know? 
Right, right. Because, because I was like, I was like, there's things that you might have to do in life where people go, oh, Erica's an a-hole, or she's such a horrible person, and I can't believe she did that or said that or got out of this situation. But some things you got to do because you set healthy boundaries mm-hmm. around yourself. And the people who would say that weren't healthy to begin with. Right, because, and, and then you got to question, well, 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 how do they see love? Because you don't just like I said, you don't just skip through daisies loving anybody and everything. But see, I got day. the message as a young person growing up in church that love endures all things. Right, I did too. And she, that was elevated over does not delight in evil. Right, it was, and and I was telling her, you know, that was the same message I got. It was like you stick through no matter stick through it no matter what is going on because you're called to love. Right. Whether you're being abused or abusing yourself or whatever. And I think it goes back to James, you show me your faith without works, I'll show you my faith through works. You know, it's great that I love you. You show me your love by how you treat me. Right. Otherwise, I'll love you from way over there where you can't get to me. And it's not an ultimatum thing because a lot of people think that, but it's, it's a natural reaction Right. Like you give birth to a child and you are naturally inclined to want to like raise that kid up the best <laughs> that you know how. Right. Not to like freaking destroy it its whole life. Right. So it's it's kinda like it's kinda like that with our relationship with God. Like you he you learn what the truth is about him and somehow that it naturally causes you to go into action. Right. For the right. things that he likes. Just like being in a relationship with a young boy or a young girl, like you meet this guy you like or this girl you like, and you're just naturally inclined to, like, do things that they like, to please them, to make, mm-hmm. you know, to put a smile on them. And face. if you're not, then in a healthy community, older, more mature people go, seriously. Yeah. You know? Right. <laughs> seriously, why, why are you doing that? Right. You know, it's interesting. I'm watching, um, I've been, I was watching the first se- season of Arranged. I don't know. It, it's the same episode. It's the same network that does Married at First Sight. But they've got a show called Arranged. And in the first season, they had uh, a, cons- a conservative Christian couple, which I wouldn't say that they were arranged at all, so I'm not even going to talk about that because that was just a, a train wreck. And then, <laughs> and then there, but there was an Orthodox Jewish couple, very young couple, and there was um, an Indian couple from India. And it was very interesting because there were a lot of, cultural expectations on the Jewish bride that she had to wrestle with before she got married. Was she going to wear, um, you know, the, the wig to cover her hair for her husband? And, and it, and it was interesting because this is where a lot of Christians go, Oh, it's just legalism, you know, because she found a wig that was very similar to her own hair, you know, but she talked about and wrestled with, the idea behind it being that your hair is only for your husband and, and the meaning of it to her. And, and did she love him enough to, to do this? And, you know, he, he said, well, it's completely her choice. I'll be disappointed if she doesn't, but, but I understand it's a hard thing to do versus, you know, cultural difference. The, the couple from India while she was unpacking her things into their new home, he opens up his computer and says, okay, let's go over the list I've made of your duties now that you're my wife. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, oh. 
and and she was wrestling with you know with the cult and I you know that being their culture if you embrace you know I'm not criticizing that from a cultural standpoint but when we're looking at our relationship with God how do we understand the things he's asked us to do do we interpret them as though we get saved and then he sits down and says okay now here's all the things you have to do or are there traditions and customs and things that he says communicate something that we then wrestle with and decide, are we able to do this? You know, when we got married, my husband didn't give me a list of meals I could never prepare for him. But when I prepared a meal and he didn't love it, it went on the back burner. It didn't get made. If it was something I loved, then if I wanted to make it, I made something else for him to go along with it. You know, with each of my children, we've tried to create meals that that allow everybody to eat something that they will love, not because we have to, but because we love them. We want them to enjoy their meal. And and sometimes there are times where, you know, this is just what we're having. But there are other times where it's the kind of meal, you know, you can build your own taco bar or whatever that you can you can do that. And so. This idea that you're only saved if you believe a particular thing, if you say a particular thing, if you have this exact doctrine of faith, if you act in this way, if you support this political candidate, if you, you know, these are all modern Western Christian ideas that are not found in Scripture. They're not. And when you, when you can address the reality that that is what you bring to the text. You know, when, when Christians come at me and they're saying, oh, well, I understand the, the plain meaning of the text. Oh, really, the plain meaning of the text <laughs> in a particular English translation that you understand a certain way because of where you live in your cultural context, the, the translator had their own agenda. They decided what pronoun to use. You know, they took that word that is gender neutral in Greek and added a pronoun. Um, you know, and they're, they're looking at a Greek New Testament without possibly understanding the Hebraic thought of the people who wrote it. But okay, the plain meaning of the text, gotcha. And, and we bring that, you know, there have been different people, there's different people in different countries who are sure that they know what it means. You know, I like to I like to tell people that we should we should hold our doctrine tight enough that it gives our life structure and loose enough that God can correct us. Right. <laughs> you know? We need our understanding. We need it to give us structure in our life. We want to act in faithfulness and obedience to God. But we also need to be open to oh I totally misunderstood that. <laughs> Let me adjust for my new understanding. Yeah, I, I, that's so funny because I'm always trying to, like, I should quote, quote that. Because I'm always trying to, like, say that. Yeah. I don't know exactly how to say that. And it it like, came up to me after years of trying to figure out. Right, because I was talking to Lasagna, and I was like, you know all the stuff we've been through? You kind of have to, like, hold your hand out like this and just allow God to, like, take it away. Yeah. So, like, kind of have something there. Right. Because you, you always got get, are getting corrected on what you thought that you knew. And, yeah. And like, like those ladies that I was with, like they really thought that they had a real good handle on the plain text and their own understanding. 
right. to the point where they were like, based on the plain text, you don't have any salvation. You're not saved. Right. X, Y, Z. And I'm just like, whoa. Like, <laughs> you guys are so way off. Yeah. But they, you know, they, they had their stuff ripped so tightly. Right. They couldn't be correct. God couldn't pull anything out. Right. Because they were just like, nope, I know what this means. And you're not saved, you know, because you didn't. You didn't personally baptize anybody, and, and in here it says that that's what Jesus did, so you don't have any salvation. Right. It's like, Ooh, okay. God, I gotta get out of here. Yeah. Well, and I think that there's a lot of a lot of people. I mean, God will go, okay, you got it figured out. You know, there's times I say it to my own children. It's like, okay, yeah, you got a handle on that. Sure. You know, I'll be here when you realize you don't. And we'll talk this. this morning. <laughs> it's like, okay. You know, but that's that's because young people have their own filter through which they're interpreting everything they encounter. And and young people have their own experiences. And older people have our experiences. And and I love, you know, one of my professors at Fuller who used to say, if you're really studying the Bible correctly. You should become more humble the longer you study, not less. If you're studying the Bible and getting more judgmental, you're studying it the wrong way. You know, if you're reading Proverbs and you don't realize that you're the fool, you've missed the point of the book. (laughs) And I think a lot of times people go to the text in order to ask, what does God say about this thing that that person's doing? What is this what does God say about how those people are living? And pretty much when you do that for that purpose of judging them to how well they're aligning with the text, you are completely reading it through your own filter. Because that's not the purpose of the text. And so if I if I approach the text inauthentically, if I approach the text and ask it to do something it isn't doing, that is completely on me. You're going to learn what I believe, what I think, how I feel, and what I judge people as. Because the text is is a two-edged sword that we're supposed to apply to ourselves, not other people. Everything about, you know, the, the spiritual armor is defensive, not offensive. We're not supposed to go attacking people with the word of God. And so, you know, starting with that question of what does it actually say, looking at who's behind the text, when was it written? Um, a lot of people don't realize that this idea of biblical Greek came about because a lot of doctrines had already been set for major Western religion when, or Western Christianity when they continued to learn more about Greek and what they were learning about the Greek and what it meant was calling into question some of the doctrines that were already set in stone. So biblical scholars in certain traditions said, well, that's because there's a biblical Greek and then there was a common Greek. And the biblical Greek is unchanging in meaning. But the common Greek, you can go ahead and study that because that's different. And for a long time, people didn't question that. 
But the reality now is that we have learned so much about what ancient Greek means. And we are in a cultural context where what we bring to the, the study of the text, we're able to say, um, that's ridiculous. <laughs> this idea that just because it opposed your doctrine, it can't be correct Greek is kind of weird. Right. It doesn't work. Language doesn't work that way. You know, you don't get, we don't, because we don't approach Shakespeare that way. We don't learn about some new phrase in Shakespeare. Like, we don't learn about what it meant at that time. And we go, oh, that's what Shakespeare meant. We don't go, well, that's clearly non-Shakespearean Middle English. You know? Correct Shakespeare. (laughs) Right. But we correct the Bible. Right. We go, well, the translator at this period in time used this pronoun. Therefore, that must be the only correct pronoun ever to be used with that. Okay, really? And so, so as we've understood more about Greek, the language, and, and as we've gotten better interpretations for every other ancient Greek writing, why has there been resistance to doing this with Scripture? Well, it's because it opposes what people already think it means. They don't want to be questioned. You know, it might call our doctrine into question. Well, maybe your doctrine should be called into question if it's not sound. So the question that I end up asking at the end of the day is, do we really want to understand the text or not? Do we want the text to say what we want it to say? Or do we want to embrace what it really does say? And how are, are we willing to be uncomfortable in order to engage the text? And I was telling Erica that yesterday, too. <laughs> See? You were preparing for today. <laughs> and so the, the thing is, is, like, I can't prove it, but my theory for, like, all these world religions and stuff like that is, I feel like if you go back far enough to the most ancient of ancient in each and every culture, you'll find this God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You'll find that your ancestors worshipped one God mm-hmm. in the right manner. And then all what all of these cultures ended up doing with just, you know, miscommunication as if you're playing telephone throughout generations, mm-hmm. things get skewed. You have other cultures around who, that were extremely pagan, and those cultures were adopted into it. Mm-hmm. And then you have people who want the text to say what they want it to say versus just letting it be what it is. And so then from the ancients of, of days in every single culture where they worship the one true living God the way that they probably were supposed to throughout all these generations up until today, that's why they're so starkly different from one another. Mm-hmm. Yet yet I can go to a chapel that welcomes everyone and they, and they go to the ancient, like, you know, uh, structural belief of all these things and it all says... Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love one another as you love yourself. Right. So then I'm, so then like I was telling that to Erica, and I'm just like, if this is the basic foundation for all religions, like that, and that's kind of why I have this theory of if you take it far back enough, you'll run into God. Right. He right. The only true living God. Right. And, and how everything got distorted. But I was like, I was like, whether you have a title or not, because she started talking about titles but what are you what do I tell people and I'm like really it's not in a title at all right. like, salvation is not in the title and 
Because when people start putting these little rules and regulations on you that you have to perform, and that's way too wavy. Right. I was like, I, was like, I don't care if you're Buddhist or, or, or what is it, like Hindu or Christian or Hebrew or whatever. I don't care what it is that you say that you claim. If you don't, if you're not actually loving God with all your heart, right. and strength, and loving others as yourself, then that's the difference between being a hearer and a doer. Right. Because a lot of these religions got a lot of good principles. Oh, yeah. Most of which agree with the Bible for how to live. Absolutely. You know, and how to have life more abundantly. So if they're really true to, to, what, that, to what they're saying that they're true to, then you would see them loving God and loving others. And a lot of times you do. Right, and a lot of times you do. The faithful, say, you do. You see that. Right, and I said, I said, Erica, that's why you'll see people who don't, who don't know God or claim God or love God. And you'll see them do things that, that's more righteous than your pastor or, right. your, or your local rabbi or yeah. this or that, you know? Because right. it's not about titles. It's about what, what's truly in your heart, what you really love. And if you have a good definition right. of that and what that really looks like and what that really means. Right. You know? Well, and that's that's why I, you know, I'm at the point where if you, whatever your understanding of God is, if you are loving God and loving your neighbor, I would like to be around you. Right. Even if you don't share my doctrine of faith. Because if you share my doctrine of faith and you're not loving that calls everything into question, and I just don't want to be around you. Right, right. I, I don't care that we intellectually agree right. about what the, the scripture says. I want to be around people who are doers of the word. You know, it's in Judaism, there's a belief that those who don't know get more credit for righteousness when they do what they're supposed to do not knowing right. than if you know and don't do. And I was pointing out people to her that we know who, like, have given up on God and say that they don't, you know, want to be involved in that stuff. And I'm like, and then I'll point out something that they did. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that was so righteous for what, what they mm-hmm. did. That was so right what they did. That was so loving of themselves and others what they did. And yet they'll sit there and tell you that, that, they, don't love, that they don't love God or they're done with that. But that's not what they're done with. They're done with people. Right, they're done with religion. They're done with right, those not, rules. Right, not not loving others as themselves and loving God. They're not done with that. They think they are. They right, don't know how to define that yet? And so I'm like, absolutely. It's, it's, it's funny how other people, not other like other people, influence us as a society to say, "Oh, I'm walking away from God," or, or "I got to question God," versus just questioning the person, right, and and their relationship to God. Right. Not walking away from God based on what somebody else is doing. And and that's why so much of my time is spent telling people, you can walk away from that. That doesn't mean you have to walk away from God. Right. It's okay. Why do you assume that that is the same as God? Because that's what people have been stuffing down right. for since you were born. That this right. is that this is what it has to look like. And so many different that. groups right. are saying so many different things are that truth. You know, it, at a certain point, you got to go, well, they can't all be right. right. So are we not just picking? Because I was telling her, I was like, look at it this way. I was like, if you, um, let, let, let's say we all, let's say like I just fall deeply into like 
heroin or crack, and I'm just like off the Richter scale crazy. Right. And you guys are like, this is not Lisa. And you know, I'm like, because you guys love me, you'll, you'll have intervention. And you'd be like, well, tell me how you feel and stuff like that. And then right at that point, they're like, you have an option. We can send you to this facility to get mm-hmm. clean or not. And I can like cuss each and every one of y'all out, try and fight some of you, be angry, storm out the room, whatever. And people might say, oh, that's not loving. They're being so mean to her. But I'm, right. you know, so I was like, so I was like, Erica, is that loving or not? Like, what, what is everybody supposed to do? Just let me be, uh, a, you know, a heroin addict until the day that I die? And, right. And like, enable everything? Like, they're saying, we're stopping our behavior right now. Right. This is how it's affected everything. We're asking you to stop yours. Right. You know? And I was like, it looks highly offensive. I can have very adverse reactions to it, negative reactions to it, yet, yet, that's love because no one left me. And, and yet, ironically, a lot of Christianity takes an intervention approach to the presentation of the gospel. You know, when you, when you sit somebody down or when you stop them in the mall and you try and force them to make a decision today, right. with, but there's usually no context of relationship. No understand. I mean, when when I have people from various religions or different backgrounds approach me in Walmart and want to share their gospel with me, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Can I just go get my thread and and I got places to go? So they might think, oh, she doesn't want to know about God. Well, actually, the opposite. I just don't really have time to talk to you right now, and I don't know you. And and we don't. What is? Why are you trying to intervene with me while I buy thread? Right. You know. Right. <laughs> what about my life? So you don't know my life enough to think that you need to come in and right. and like change how, it. How can you assume that? You know, but when you're intimately acquainted with someone and you know certain things, like you can, like what my point with her was, like you can approach somebody in love and they'll take it as hate, hatred, or or something, mm-hmm. um, or judgment. Yeah. And, it, and I kind of related it to, you know, helping somebody get off drugs. Yeah. Because if you don't see, you don't see at that time, then you see a lot of people who go through the detox and then they're like crying, having this amazing reunion and apologies. Thank you for way. doing so that. Thank yeah. You. For getting in my way, right? Because I don't know how else. I'll oh, stop if you want to, if you way. hang out with AA people, you will see a very tough love. Yeah. You know, they will be in your face with a lot of truth, and and they don't let you get away. I went to a couple of AA your... meetings, and I just was like, man, not even on alcohol, but like I need to come here more often because <laughs> they have, they have like not only are they like so upfront with just being like blatantly truthful. But they're they're also like I don't know they're so open. Yeah, it's to, beautiful. It's, to correction yeah, and they're so supportive. Well, and this is the thing. Okay, so we've got the text. We've got the text of scripture. We've got what's behind the text. People who wrote it. People it was written to. What they were addressing. We've got what's in front of the text. Us as the reader. Um, and everything that we bring, you know, am I male, female, what gender, you know, what gender am I, what sex am I, what socioeconomic status am I, what country do I live in, all of these things that affect and shape my understanding of the, te- the text itself, what language am I reading it in, you know, and even with an English translation, is it English that I speak today, or is it, you know, from what period of time, so all of those things, and then we've got people, 
who have their own, you know, the, if you consider a person to be the text, you know, it's a person that is exactly who they are. And, and we have what's behind the person, all of their background, everything they've been through, everything that they've experienced, what church, if, or if any, they've been a part of, what they were taught, how they were treated, how every Christian they've encountered has, has behaved with them. Whether they're, you know, they had a pastor who had a horrible fall from grace and, and got caught, you know, was their pastor caught in, in a hotel with a stripper? You know, I mean, like the, all their experiences that we, unless we really know them and want to learn about them, know nothing about. And then we have our same person in front of the person and everything we bring to it, all of our assumptions, all of our doctrines, all of the things we think we know about scripture and all of the things we assume about this person. Okay. When, when you approach the Bible as though your plain reading of the text is right and you've got all the information. Then that's how you approach people. Exactly. That's how you approach people. Yeah. So, so it seems like, you know, study to show yourself approved is, 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 is gets even deeper. Because if, when you approach the text with all of that stuff in mind, it prepares you mentally to approach people with yes. all of that stuff in mind. And then that's how you become fishers of men. Of men, right. Right. You're not going to throw your line in where there's no fish. Right. And your goal isn't catching a fish. You're, you know, when, you, when you're becoming... Um, you know, I, there's a thread on Facebook that a, that a friend of mine started about the practice of befriending people just to share the gospel with them and how offensive that is and how shallow that is. And several people were chiming in and going, I've had people do that to me. And when I found out they didn't really like me, it was very painful. I felt deceived. I felt, and, and so what about that approach is loving? What about that, you know, what, what about pretending to be someone's friend just to get the gospel shared is good news love as opposed to the approach of getting to know the person because you genuinely love them and you care about them and you trust that God can save them. And at some point they might ask you what you believe, but that's not your reason for being there. It's just to show God's love to them, to love them. And give God a context in which to work. And that is very painful because that's kind of how it was with, the, with those ladies that I ran into. Right. Really nice, really... You nice. wanted some Christian friends to hang out and study with. Right. I think that's all I wanted. And, and they, were, they were really nice. And, and we got to study a few little things. But the majority of it was like, oh, let's pump the gospel into this chick because she's not saved. And she's down for hell unless we step in. And right, then it, and then it was just like you have to do this and you have to do that, and you know you can't have a female for a rabbi. That's just that's against God. We're pretty word. sure that doesn't you know? work. <laughs> so we're pretty sure that you need to leave that to come over here to us to what's real and be involved in these group studies and these things, right. these charity events, and blah blah blah. And if you do that, then we'll like you. Right, right. And so, but then they're like, "Oh, but we love you so much because you're God." This, and that, you know. And then, like, when I decide to step away, respectfully, nothing bad, and I step away, 
And I'm like, you know, maybe we can study every now and then, or I can come visit you guys or whatever. They're like, oh, yeah, sure. What, yeah, okay, always. And, like, a week like a, a week goes by or a, um, a couple of weeks goes by, and, like, there's not a single word that I hear from them at all in any way, right. form, or fashion. And when I reach out to them, it's, who who are you? Who is this? Yeah, I'm sorry. Do, do we know you? I don't. I don't. They, yeah, they literally were like, I don't. I don't know who this is. I've already removed you from my phone like, in my your, life. Your number is deleted from my phone. Yep. I don't know who you are. When I explained who I was, they were like, I'm not. And, like, and I'm guessing like, it's not coming to me. So and like, I'm guessing in their telling of the story, right? You're that person who rejected God, and they yeah. tried so hard. They tried so hard <laughs> to get me saved, and I just refused to be saved. But, like, that, like, reaching out to them, like, showed me that they deleted my number, they deleted me from their memory, and they're no longer nice, they no longer want to hang out or be associated with me, and that really hurt, because I'm like, wow, you claim to love God, yet, yet, when I have a a different viewpoint than you, you can't even stand to, to keep me in your memory bank. Right. Like, gosh, that yeah. was horrible. What kind of love? What? How like, shallow is even, that love? Right, you didn't even befriend me the to in order to befriend me. Like, you right. did it for the sole purpose of, oh, how lost is she? Because mm-hmm. she keeps making mistakes in her life. And let's, let's save her. Right. It's like, wow. Well, I, I notice that a lot of times if you listen to the language of how people speak about their faith, speak about salvation, speak about evangelism, you will learn a lot. Are they getting to know new people to share God's love with more people? Or are they getting to know people to get them saved? Because if I love people, I'm not invested specifically in getting them to believe a certain thing. I'm, I'm invested in loving them. And, and God works in that. And, and I find God works on me as much as God works on them. God uses those situations to challenge me and, and to call into to question my assumptions. You know, because none of us are perfect. We all have our, our assumptions and our ideas. And there are lots of things that until a certain thing happened, you know, so, something happened. And in that context, God's saying, Okay, now think about those things you thought you knew about this. How solid do those seem right now? Right. And a lot of times I'm like, oh, not very solid at not all. Yeah. There are lots of times stuff happens, or I'm with people, and God will go, "Are you still loving them?" I don't know right now. <laughs> not feeling the love right now. It's like, okay, well, what aren't you loving? Why aren't you loving them? What are they doing or saying? And I'll be honest. I'll be honest. A lot of it is with the church. Yeah. And recently God's been putting it on my heart that a lot of, that, that he needs people, you know, yes, where I'm called and spend a lot of my time is in working with people who have left or, or are in the process of leaving and trying to, to help them to not you know, and, and because of that, that's where a lot of my frustration with the church comes from. You know, when you deal with a lot of people who have been wounded by different sections of the church, or you deal with a lot of people who are ready to walk away from God because of how they were treated 
in the church, it's very easy to become judgmental of the church. Right. <laughs> because the church is the one hurting the people. Right. And yet, God has continued to soften my heart. And, and you know, obviously I haven't left the church. You know, we're sitting here. I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't reject the church. But I feel like God's heart right now is that I think he's sending missionaries into the churches. I think God's sending people to to proclaim love and good news in the places that think they have it. And I think there's a lot of that. And I, as I'm watching online, I'm seeing more and more people that are, are doing that in their communities. And I think that's awesome. You know, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Yeshua chose him to take the message to the Pharisees. Yes, he also took it to the Gentiles, and he took it, you know, he took it out of the church, but he wasn't the one first called to do that. That, was, that, that first instruction for that was Peter. Because everywhere Paul went, as we were reading the last few weeks in Acts, everywhere Paul went, the first place he did was, the first thing he did was go to the synagogue and call those people who had understanding. Call those people who saw what he was, was pointing out. Then he would take it to the rest of the community. You know, Paul wasn't, Paul wasn't just the, gen, you know, the, the, the evangelist to the Gentiles. Right. And so, you know, when Yeshua came, he came within a context. The fact that he was able to stand up and speak in the synagogues means he was probably born into the Pharisee community. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been allowed to speak. So, so you know, another thing in the text and behind the text that, that if you don't know it, you don't see it. You know, if you don't know, and, and my dad and I were talking about that last night, that you can read a text over and over and over and suddenly you learn something new in a different area and you come back to the text and go, I didn't know that was there. Right. <laughs> right. I didn't know it addressed that. And so... I think the context very much is how you approach and engage with the text of scripture is going to be the same as how you approach and engage with the person. And I think that, that, you know, that encounter that's facilitated between where God encounters a person right where they are, um, is very, very powerful. It doesn't require the text to be present. Um, and it doesn't require that they have access to or understand the text because prior to the printing press, that wasn't even something everybody had. You know, our cultural context assumes if you're saved, you study the Bible. But that was not the context for most of history. A lot of people didn't have a copy of that. Right. Yeah. You know? And when Yeshua was walking around, I didn't have the, you know, what everybody hangs on now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right. the Apostles. They didn't even have that. Yeshua didn't walk around with that. He just walked around doing his thing. That wasn't even written yet. Right. right. If he, and, you know, reading anything, it, you know, was Torah and a couple of other things, but it's like, like I, you know, people, your average Christian today want want to weigh so heavy on these books, and mm-hmm. you know, and 
Yeah, that, that's true. Like, what were what were they doing back when there wasn't a, a Bible or a handful of Bibles in every person's house? Right. Right. They were just loving God. And I was telling Erica, you know, I was like, God has written this on our heart. Mm-hmm. We are naturally inclined towards this, you know. And when you pay attention to your to your anger and, and certain things that you do, you kind of see how it's written on your heart because you're naturally inclined to not like what he doesn't like. You know? Right. But when you're when you're heavily influenced by things, um, you know, within your own ignorance of not knowing that of what you're entertaining and what you're saying yes to, then it makes it easier for you to kind of fall astray. But it doesn't mean that those things still aren't written on your heart. Right. You still have a point of wrestling with something or questioning something or getting out of something. And it's like if there was no problem with those things, then why would you ever question it or want to get out of them or want something to change about it? You should just, like, completely fall head over heels for it and never question it at all, right? Mm -hmm. But you you don't. You don't. Your consciousness won't let you whether you study the Bible all day long or not. Right. And so, like, I I was telling somebody, too, I was like, um, he was like, well, I don't have all that time. To, to, to be in the Bible. That's just a whole bunch of, you know, waste of time and this and that. And I was like, well, the Bible doesn't necessarily need you either. Right. It doesn't need you in it. Right. To be, to be in it. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's things that are... Clearly, you're not called to be a teacher. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> and but God didn't throw things on your heart. You know, there's, like, right. saying, there's people that I, that don't ever know, like, don't know God at all, like, in the way that we think people should know God. Right. What we think we should see for them to know God or say to know God. And you see some of the most righteous things come out of their heart. In just in some people, I think, should do a little less Bible study and a little more out there living with real people. Right. Because what they're getting from their Bible study is not helping them. Right. Want, <laughs> it's not edifying. Stand on a corner with a bullhorn and some. And some so yell verses that yeah yeah yell verses in your ear you walk by they tell you you're going to hell repent now the kingdom's at hand yeah and you're just like well like Jesus and his disciples didn't do that no you know and, and even if they could do that they they still couldn't do that really because they didn't have this right so you're like read this right, right. Now, you're going to hell unless you know what this is. right you didn't even have the whole thing you know one of the things that I was thinking about. Um, the last few days and, and just in various contexts, in fact, the last couple of weeks, it's been really just, God keeps popping it into my head. Um, and, and it's kind of related to that. And when I was, uh, um, on WhatsApp with my brother in Germany yesterday and he was showing me his new house. And when you go in, there's actually a door to the rest of the living space. Like you come in through a door into the entryway and there's upstairs, but then the main floor living space has a separate door blocking it. And a while in Germany. Um, and, and it hit me because a while back, somehow some, something someone said about sacrifices and covenants just really struck me weird. And so I went to go look to try and figure out how to address the question that they were asking based on how they had said the thing. And I, and I looked up several examples and I realized that the covenant wasn't actually forged with the sacrifice of the animal. 
the covenant. And, and then I suddenly, like, I understood the salt covenants and, and the drink covenants because the covenant was found, what was grounded in the shared meal of the animal that had been killed. So it, specifically, if you go and look at when Jacob and Esau come back together and, and Esau basically tells him, let me kill this animal and then covenant with me and have a meal or however it's worded. It's just this very different wording that, that struck me all of a sudden. Oh, it's the shared meal. You know, and, and if you think that there's a, as you go through history and literature and different things, um, you know, when the king would have someone come in order to forge a treaty, they would share a meal. You know, and it was it was that inviting that person into your space. And and you know, we talked about how Lot lived in a time where if you invited guests into your home, you had covenanted with them to protect them. Even at the expense of so so there's this idea that when you invite someone into your life and when you invite someone into your home, you are creating a covenant with them. And their willingness to go into your home and go into your life creates a covenant between the two of you. And I think that we are both far too open and far too close at the same time in our society because we don't have a concept of this. We aren't careful with who comes into our home because we don't realize that we're entering relationship with them. And at the same time, we don't open our homes thinking that we're making relationship with people. And, and I think that, that it's both. I think we have to be cautious of who we allow into our lives so we don't end up in those abusive relationships. I think we have to, to be careful to remove people from our home and from our life if they're not safe. But I think that that one of the things within the text and behind the text that's missed a lot of times is the idea that Yeshua broke down the barrier between Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and master, is the reality that those are the things that separated community. And so, you know, the idea, I was having to explain at the stadium the difference between kosher dogs and non-kosher dogs, because somehow, at some point, somebody started telling people, oh, it just means they were blessed by a rabbi, and that's what everybody thinks. Uh They don't think there's any difference. And I'm like... No. So I was explaining it in the stands I was working and everybody was going, I didn't know that. And then I had to explain the idea of common because the kosher dogs were being put in the same tray as the non-kosher dogs. I'm like, well, technically the Orthodox Jews can't eat that now because it's common. And this three-tiered distinction, you know, prior to what Paul and Peter and, and the other, the other you know, apostles and believers in the New Testament came to understand about what Yeshua had done. There was this idea of common. And I couldn't sit down and share a meal with you and covenant into relationship with you if you didn't share my exact faith because your presence and your portion of the meal would make my food common. So there was no relationship between us. We couldn't fellowship. 
But coming to understand that that barrier was removed, that there was no such thing as common, that if God made you clean, then you stayed clean no matter who you encountered and who you came in contact with. That was good news. That was revolutionary. If you are declared clean by God, you stay clean even if you come into contact with unclean. That's why Yeshua could touch a leper. That's why Yeshua could be touched by a woman with a bleeding disorder and not worry about his own cleanliness. Yeah, because we were questioning that um, a couple of years ago. Um, me and Ashanti were going over laws and stuff like, oh, you can't touch on, like a, a, you know, a, a dead carcass of an unclean animal or a dead person mm-hmm. or somebody with a disease like that and stuff. And then, then we were like, but Jesus Around someone, right? Right. So, well, you know, then we were confused, right? Because you didn't know how to look at it. We're like, well, if he touched it, right? And how do you know you're not touching somebody with disease? Well, that's that's why Orthodox they don't know if you're a woman who's menstruating. They don't know if you've got any kind of illness. They don't know these things. Um, And a lot of strict Orthodox, they will take their own. stools places so that they don't sit on a couch with somebody they, they don't want to become common or contaminated and so that's that's the, that's why they yeah and that's why they didn't get the plague it's why there's all that they were all the stories about the jews you know cursing people with the plague was because the jewish communities didn't have the plague because they washed their hands and they understood cleanliness right so and uh, that's excellent. And there is an aspect of cleanliness that is actual cleanliness. But the spiritual aspect of it, that's a big part of what Paul and the other apostles understood to be the good news. Right. The good news is that all these things that separated us don't anymore. God's calling everybody together into covenant with him. God's calling us to fellowship with each other. God's calling us to to recognize that if I'm made clean, then encountering people who are unclean does not contaminate me. I can be around people who believe differently than I do and live differently than I do and think differently than I do, and it doesn't change my status as clean. That's from a spiritual standpoint. Right. Like not telling me to go sit in a weapons lab. Right, right, right. But from this, but people want to say, how can you be around those people? Right. Right. Because I'm clean. Right. And if light doesn't go there, where's the light? Right. If salt doesn't go there, where's the salt? And then they, you know, and, and that's what your average Christian community teaches you growing up. You know, that, that your soul is set apart where you can't interact with nothing else. Right. Which is the mistake Judaism made. Which, you know, a lot of people who are uh, homosexual or just like, you know, they expect people who claim to be Christian or whatever or believers in some kind of way to treat them in a very evil manner because they're like, oh, you have, you know, you have nothing to do with me and God damns you to hell anyway. Right. So you're just you're just going to hell. I just want you to know Whereas that. a lot of them love God, but think He doesn't love him right. them. Right, right, right. Yeah, and and 
that is a twisted good news message. Right. God loves everybody who's exactly like me is not really what we find in the text. That's not good news. <laughs> There's no good news. Maybe good news for me if I don't like to be around people who are different. Right, that is good news. God only loves people like me. But I've seen, you know, I've seen testimonies from people who were down that path of, of being homosexual and how they gave their testimony about how they changed their whole life around. And then, like, out of nowhere, God just naturally gave them this desire for a family and children. And, and, and then there are other people. Then there are other people who will love God and turn their life over to them. And God will deal with other things in their life. Right. And the thing is, is that, like, either way, in their testimonies, they were surrounded by people who, who not only loved God, but who really loved them. Right. Like, you see that, that these people really developed a relationship with them, just not, not even to spread the gospel. They just loved them. Right. And then that, and because they were the way that they were, it affected them in a way to where they were like, that's what I want for my Right. You know, it wasn't this, you're going to go to hell, so you better repent now. Oh, I better repent now. I'm going to change my life. Right. Jesus Christ changed my life because this person told me I was going to hell, and that's not what I want to do. Right. Oh, I better get on the get on the bandwagon and right. fix it up, you know. It never changed that way. Right. You know? Well, and I and I think that I think that what I what I always like I have no expected outcome for people who who give their life to the Lord. Like I don't have an expectation of what I'm looking for, for it to be legit, you know? Um, cause we've talked before about, you know, like I've even had to deal with people who go, well, if you're still dealing with health issues, you must not be saved. Or you know, you're still fat. Right. I've heard that from people who like people who are close to me, who will claim like who love God. They're like, Oh no, she's fat. Yeah. Like, she don't love God enough yet because she's still fat. And right. Who really love God. Right. Says. And so then, so naturally, that just wouldn't make a fat person. And right. you're just like, what the heck? <laughs> so, you know, I can't listen to anything they say. Right. It, because, it, it, yeah, it's just fat. like, okay, yeah. Or there was this other lady, like, um, she's not she's not necessarily a believer, but she does a lot of good things in the community where it comes to health and education. Uh-huh. And she did, she did one thing that I thought was super weird that I would never do, which was, like, she had some kids and she, like, ate her placenta. Uh-huh. Right, but like, so I just ignored that. But then, you know, I'll suck in everything else that she does because it's like I feel like it really is good. Mm-hmm. But I'm not gonna eat my placenta. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I was, I was like teaching somebody else. I was like, yeah, go to this website. Like, it's really cool. Um, with what she says about coconut oil or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. So then they would stumble across the placenta thing, and then they just like discredit everything and all. Right. They're like, oh no, she's placenta. Yeah, she, nothing else she says. And she's fat. Like, we're just not going to go there. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're or, just like, what the heck is happening? Right. about how we today think about our bodies? Yeah. And you, you read the writings of people a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago? And the Madonna, the, the, the picture of Ma- the Madonna, the, the perfect woman, she's not skinny. Right. She's not Barbie. In fact, at, at every other time, and in many countries now, a man wanted his wife to be overweight because it was evidence that he could feed her well and take care of her, and she didn't have to work in the fields. Right. And what's that place where if you're fat, you're like, they, you have a rich status? It's yeah. Like with Japan or something? Or it's a lot of countries, a lot of, a lot of yeah. communities, yeah. It's why... Um, 
uh, even Fiddler on the Roof, when Tevye's singing, If I Were a Rich Man, you know, you'd see my wife, my Golda, sitting uh, like a rich man's wife with a proper double chin, <laughs> you know, because she wouldn't have to work. The people who were skinny were the poor people who had to work in the fields. So, so these, that's, you know, in front of the text, what assumptions are we making? You know, and so my thought is maybe what good news is, is that God invites everyone to the table. And when you feast on what's at his table, it will change you. And I don't have to judge how you're changed I don't have to have a standard by which I expect you, you know, a rate of change or, or an area of change. Right. And, and, and God may not change you in the way that I think he should. God might change me in ways I'm not expecting. But the good news is everyone is welcome at the table. And I think that there's a warning in Yeshua's example of it is better to sit yourself at a lower place at the table and be invited to a, a, a higher status seat than to sit yourself at the highest status seat and have to be told to move for somebody else to sit down. So maybe if we all could hold our doctrines and hold our theology, like, like I said earlier, tight enough to provide structure for our lives and loose enough to be shown where we're not understanding and to be corrected, and maybe if we could understand that being declared clean by God means I can be in the presence of anyone and that doesn't change. And that's good news. And that everyone is invited to the table and that's what I'm supposed to go tell them. God wants you at his table. Not if you believe a certain thing, then God will save you from eternal damnation in hell and then you can be around me. Right, <laughs> right. That's, that's really not the good news. The good news is, hey, you might not realize this, but God wants you at his table. Right. And when you start eating, you really, you really start to realize what, it, what it, it really means and feels like to be fed spiritually. Yes. You'll feel so full. It's such an amazing And it changes feeling. you. And, and it changes you naturally. And think about it. If you eat junk food you have a certain level of energy. But if you eat healthy food, you have a different level of energy. And when you eat spiritual food, yeah. it changes you. Right. You, you are what you eat. Right. You are. So shouldn't we be wanting to make spiritual food available to anybody who wants it? And, and the whole point of breaking down those barriers was God saying, I'm not keeping anybody out. I want everybody in. They might not all want in. They might not want to sit next to you at the table. But that doesn't mean that they don't want to be at the table. Right. And, and there's, a, there's a time and a place for just saying, you know what, I'm going to save you a seat next to me. When you're ready, come. Right, and then people eat different things at different seasons of their life. Like some people might be on milk. Right. Then somebody else is on baby food. Right. Somebody on milk and somebody on baby food might clash with one another because, you know, one can't digest it and the other one digests it too fast. Right. So then somebody else might eat, you know, interact differently with both of them because they're on meat. Right. And maybe that's why God doesn't sit everyb
<laughs> maybe that's the place where God says, you know what, maybe go sit over there the where you're not causing trouble. <laughs> that's, that's what really highlighted a lot of this for me to the forefront of my mind because I got judged judged so harshly by those ladies and they thought that they were doing that in love but that really got me thinking I was like how can you be like how can you assign somebody to hell so quickly without having the same respect for, for me that God has for me because right. you have like you you start eating you start realizing what you've missed out on and what you've been lied to about and then you just you want to know more and you get into this and you have all these ups and downs and your life, like the frequency thing, until the mm-hmm. frequency gets tighter and tighter and sharper and sharper to like a straight line. But in, um, but like it, it, it just takes these these ups and downs and these turns. And so for people to look at your life and see all these ups and downs and turns, they want to just assign you to hell instead right. of saying, wow, look at how much God's working in your life. Look at how much God... Has changed you and look how and they don't because they don't know they don't know where you've come from exactly and that's the problem with just just preaching gospel just for the sake of saving people because you really don't get to understand where God brought them from right it was like it was like um, my last uh, relationship I was getting judged really harshly mm-hmm. on my relationship with my father. And I just couldn't understand because I felt really good about my relationship. We've come so dad. far, we, yeah. We came so <laughs> far, and it was like it was such a it was such a hurtful judgment that I got on me, and it made me cry a lot. But it was just like, gosh, like if only you knew where we came from, right? You'd be like so proud of me and my dad, right. for having such an amazing relationship that we have now. But you're too busy of, of being upset with what it looks like and how it doesn't meet your current right. standards. And so, like, stuff like that just gives me an example as to how to treat others. If I see, you know, that you have a certain relationship with something, but I have a personal relationship with you and I know what that was like, or if I don't know what that was like in the past, like, right. I can't just hop on the bandwagon of judgment. And well, we have to not assume that our encounter with this person is introducing the Holy Spirit to them. Right. We don't know what's been... We might be 20th person. We, you know, they might already be saved, but be in a place of serious anger or depression or doubt. That And that's, you know, my encounter with you, you know, that, that like you're saying, the frequency and getting closer to the straight line, where God encounters you is when that starts to change. And God brings people along the way that, that are supposed to help you. But we can't assume that our encounter with them is the starting point of their triangle. It's, 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 we aren't necessarily, especially in this modern age where everybody's online. But you don't just go from chaos to... to, to you don't right, we're not line. a flagpole. You it's don't go the... from swimming <laughs> line to straight line like that. Like there's right. this in between... And it seems like a lot of, of your modern-day Christians don't respect the in-between. They don't right. respect that God's working out your life however he wants to work out your life. Well, is salvation the end of you being a sinner? Or is salvation the beginning of your walk with God? Right. Is marriage the end of dating? Mm-hmm. Or, is, or is it the beginning, the beginning yeah, of, of a life together? Right. Right. And, and, and it's, it's just that that is the question. Yeah, and and your answer will determine how you will interact with everything about your faith. 
So anyway, I'm going to go ahead and bless and, and we'll stop the recording. And then I wanted to share something else with you that's not related to this. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and grant you peace. Amen. Mm-hmm.